I actually like the intro. And welcome back to another episode of Last Week Out, episode 69, dude. Dinner for two, everybody eats, bro. That's what I'm saying, dude. Sorry, episode 25, my bad. 25 and we're still alive, dude. We're killing it right now, man. So, uh, you know, if you like that little lo-fi instrumental banger we play as the intro, you already know where to find that. Devin Hancock on Instagram and look at all the cool shit he's up to constantly, dude. And, uh, you know... um, I've been doing something special for my for my lower lower members of the matriarchy, right? For my children, for my people, dude, for my deckhands. And you know what? I'm a little upset right now because uh, no one's been utilizing the promo code last week out at the Butt Out Esigs website. And like I said, Walter dude, did. Oh yeah, Walter did. Walter Hollander, shout, shout out, out to, to you, dude, for listening to the podcast and utilizing the promo code and supporting us, dude. You don't realize how much it helps, dude. So, listen. If you're listening to this, more than likely you vape. Probably true. Probably true. Hmm. You're probably you, you probably vape. You're probably sober. You probably vape, or maybe you're not sober and you still vape, dude. Either way, you're vaping and you're spending hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds until thousands and thousands and millions of dollars a month on vape equipment. When you can just be getting twenty percent off your order from a local company here hmm. in Phoenix called Bud Out E-Cigs, and this is what I'm going to do for you. You go on that site. You order up your gear, like I did right here, which is a lie. I didn't get this from Bud Out. I bought this in San Francisco. But if I was going to buy this while I was in Arizona, in Phoenix, you know, what would I have done? I would have ordered it. 20% from, off. From where? Butt Out E-Cigs, dude. Big butt. Good big butt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, dude. So just get on there, man. Last week on the Pro Guard, you're going to get 20% off your order, and you're going to support the podcast. So thank you very much. I'm talking really fast and not pronouncing things properly, and I think it's probably the cold brew I drank before I came over here, but that's okay. Also, I am very hungry, and I have a pizza waiting for me. So... Uh, with that being said, we're going to get into some introductions here. And as you might notice, uh, Anthony's got a really bad case of sunburn right now. He, <laughs> Rough, don't touch me. Yeah, he's really rough. He was actually hiking Mount Kilimanjaro and his entire body has been frostbitten and he grew a lot of hair. Really, really fast. Actually, just kidding. We got a guest host because Papito himself is actually a papito now, dude. He had a kid, dude. So congratulations to Anthony, dude. Woo! Woo! He's a dad. And let me tell you, dude, you know how sometimes babies are fucking ugly? When they come out, you're like, people put it on Facebook, and you're like, yo, dude, your baby's ugly. This... my nephew had a 10-year-old head on a 10-day-old person oh body. It was God. rough until he grew into it. It's good now, but it was rough. So, yeah, he just had a kid, and guess what? It's cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo-cucko
Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he can actually only talk through sound bites. That's true. So it's very interesting. <laughs> um, so we have a special guest host and a special guest tonight, guys. So, you know, uh, with Anthony having a child and, and being busy, dude, you know, doing that thing that you do when you have a child because his child is like 72 hours old. So he's over there just being a dad, I guess. I don't know what that looks like or what that means. So in the interim, while he's gone doing his thing, dude, we got Danny Habateus, dude, and he's going to be our guest host, dude. So he's got he's got some big shoes to fill, but I think he can accomplish it, dude, and I think he's going to do fucking just fine. And he was actually our second, second guest. Second guest. You are yeah. our second guest. We loved your podcast so much. You're like, come guest host this bitch, dude. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's, it's a big... Uh it's a big responsibility, mm-hmm. and I'm you're having a couple work. extra servings every day, aren't you? Yikes! And yeah. I have had a couple extra servings <laughs> since then. Yeah, you were you were Yikes. woofing down some pepperoni pizza when I came in, dude. And I Absolutely. was like, whoa, hey, dude, yeah, that's that a couple extra deep. servings there, dude. That was neck deep in a slice. So <clears throat> neck deep in a slice, and we got a real special guest, dude, and that is Mr. Fucking Roger Guerrero. That's me. That's Ooh. him, dude. And he's actually the stunt double for Antonio Banderas, dude. That's he's me. a fucking good-looking <laughs> dude, dude. Yeah. So, and, and you know what, dude? Every this is a special guest, but every guest is special because we do a real special thing here, dude. And you know what? Without Anthony being here, I don't know where this is gonna go, what this is gonna sound like, but I have a feeling with this guest and with Danny guest hosting, it's gonna be really good, man. So, you know, with that, we're just gonna kind of get into it, dude. Danny's gonna take over and just like let's just see where this boat goes. Yeah, so this is going to be um, an interesting experience for everybody involved. Uh, right. You, me, everyone in this room, hopefully everyone listening. Uh, so we'll see where it goes, right? Um, so so my perspective or understanding, and, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, right, is the entire purpose of, of what we're doing here is kind of understanding the, the human experience, right? The entire idea of last week out is uh, what are some of the biggest challenges that you faced in your life? How did you overcome them? What was the feelings going through them? That kind of stuff, right? But in order to understand that it probably makes sense to get kind of a ground level of you know what your experience was like growing up what your home life was like growing up Uh, so can you just talk a little bit about you know where you were born when what your family structure looked like that sort of thing sure nailed it dude nailed it that was good bravo i I can stop sweating so i know So maybe if I follow your lead, I'll get to come back and be a there guest. Yeah. Yeah. I guess aspire for a greater, better thing. I'm still um, waiting on payment. It's not happened oh, yet. Good Lord. Whatever. Checks in the mail, bitch. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Checks, Checks in, in the, the mail. mail bitch. That's a drop. <laughs> that is a drop. It's always coming. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for asking mm-hmm. me to speak, um, Chad, and coming down. And at first I was like, God, dude, I'm going to feel like I'm on Howard Stern already, <laughs> like a celebrity. Um, God, yeah, the human condition is an interesting experience to kind of like plow through, live through, be settled into. Um, I'm from a small town in Northwest Ohio. Defiance, Ohio is the name of my hometown. Very fitting. Yeah, so I was not one to follow rules because I were home of the Defiance fighting bulldogs. Uh. You know, and um, it, it was an interesting place to grow up. And um, I'm an old man, born in 1962 as a kid. It was predominantly a waspy, small town. Mm. Um, but my mom was a real progressive. I'm of Mexican-American um, descent. That's, that's white Anglo-Saxon okay. Protestant, right? Okay, yes. yes. <laughs> okay. The waspinator got it over there, yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that buzzed right past me, dude. <laughs> I love that thing. Hit the Googles real quick. <laughs> I don't even know if they use that anymore. So growing up... <laughs> 
growing up, my mom was real progressive. She refused to live in the little Latino ghetto of Defiance, Ohio. We lived in a different section. My dad made pretty good money. So I was a little, only a little brown kid growing up yeah. in predominantly a little like white town. And yeah. so really the first time I felt oddly different was when like a bunch of kids in the fourth grade came up to me and said, do you know you're colored? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and the first thing I come back to is like, well, you know, there's white crayons in the crayon box. Aren't you colored too? I mean, everything's <laughs> colored. So, yeah. you know, and that's where I felt different. And difference is really probably the unique part of my story. And so as that kid growing up in Defiance, Ohio, I learned that you had to get along, had to kind of acclimate in order to kind of survive the human condition because human beings can be fucking brutal. Yeah. Well, especially kids. Kids and their parents. Yeah. You know? And so growing up, I learned that if I played sports, got along, I could like settle in and assimilate and get along. And so I did. I was actually pretty popular as class president. You know, I played football. I wrestled. I played varsity tennis. And pretty much everybody liked me. Did you have... Were you an only child? Did you have other family? No, I had two older brothers, yeah. two older sisters, mom and dad. Um, How much I, older? Um, God, I'm the baby. Yeah. So my oldest brother, I think, is 65. And so it's like one, two, three. Then there's a two-year gap. And huh. then my sister, who's still a bit older, and then a two-year gap between yeah. us. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were pretty much like a working family. My mom worked. but We all had chores and we all had things to do. And... You know, I got a sense of family, and and we were Catholic, and at one time I wanted to be a priest, and, you know, and I was really into God at one time. I I think I just liked the pomp, and I liked the dresses, and I liked the crowns and the jewels of the church. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fair. Not knowing what was going on. And, um, the pageantry. The pageantry, yes. Mm, (laughs) Absolutely. Little did I know that the bishops and the priests were really just wannabe drag queens you know wearing <laughs> all, that, all that shit and really having some closeness to god and um growing up in defiance ohio you know it was a good childhood actually until my parents got divorced because my dad was a raging alcoholic and you and know how old were you when this happened 12 okay so this is right in your <clears throat> primary formative because everything was gay when we were 12 right that's, that's right <laughs> And what happened was my mom, being a full-blooded woman, Mm. fell in love with somebody else and had an affair, Mm. you know, and one day sat us all down as kids and talked about how my dad was ineffective in the bed. Oh, yeah, I couldn't get it You're up. 12. And you're 12, your mom and my about... mom's like saying, your dad can't get a boner, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and she had needs and yeah. blah, 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 blah. This and... guy's a fucking... I bitch, that. dude. And so my dad got up and punched her in the head. Oh, Holy shit. shit. That took so, a sharp turn. Wow. It took a yeah. sharp left turn. Things, so she like, flew around, and it was a big drama. And, you so know, she was and telling you guys this while he was there. He just got up. Yeah, oh, we're all dude. sitting there like the Brady Bunch. My mom thought oh, it was going to be like all peaceful. It's all kumbaya. Let's talk about her feelings. And my dad got up and like bam, punched her in the head. Yeah. So what was the reaction? Like at, at that moment, kind of, is that the first time that there was... <clears throat> well, I was a mama's boy. Yeah. And in addition to that, I was my mom's cover. 
Okay. So anytime she would go out and see this man, she would take me. And so they would be out like doing their deed in the next bedroom and I'd be eating like candy bars and stuff like that watching TV. And did you know that like, hey, this is weird. This I, had a, I had a sense yeah. and at the age of 12, like something's not right about this. Yeah, yeah. but you're just like, damn, this candy's good. Dude. This candy's real good. I think he's got good TV here. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. So, yeah. So, you, you know, like internalize any sort of... Uh, like, do you feel blame for any of, like, I guess I'm, I'm trying to understand how a 12-year-old identifies their position in that relationship. It, and what it did, it turned into yeah. rage. Yeah. Yeah, it turned into rage, and it turned into factions forming. When my parents got divorced, we, like, put my mom out. I didn't talk to her for a long time. And as I developed and grew, and then as I entered in my time of addiction and stuff like that, yeah. it wasn't until years later when I went through my first rehab that I had to do that family encounter group that I called her like, you're a fucking slut, yeah. you know, you're a bitch, and this, that, and I just like went at her, and the whole like, family group like sat back and, you know, like looked at me, and <clears throat> she just got up and said, you know, I don't have to take this, and, and walked out. Yeah. Luckily, being in recovery and working through stuff, we settled all that stuff. Yeah. And I grew up around it. Yeah. But it took a lot of years. It was, it was traumatic. Yeah. And those traumatic experiences that we like develop, that we experience as kids, mm-hmm. you know, even as young adults, even as adults, are like sometimes what like mold us and what makes us. And it, if it isn't for like some of the work that we need to do in the human condition. I would be still a victim of that. Yeah. And I would have this lame story yeah. in around everything else and around relationships about how my mom traumatized us. Yeah. And so, you know, I moved out of that. She moved to California. Um, she and my dad tried to get back together. They beat each other up. My dad would get drunk at the BFW and it was a big like crisis and, you know, and it added a lot of flair to the Guerrero household. Everybody would talk about, there's the Guerreros fighting again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Out in, you know, in the middle of Defiance, Ohio. And Is this like a small town where everybody knows everyone's eight, business? Yeah, and 18,000, so yikes. everybody knows each other and yeah. down mm-hmm. the street. And yikes, that's rough. The Defiance Crescent News is there, and you're printing out the Guerreros are getting divorced, <laughs> and they're fighting again. Yeah. Big scene on 841 Washington. But it was an interesting childhood. And it was a good childhood, too, in the same sense. I mean, you could ride your Schwinn bike around Defiance, Ohio, and, mm. you know, and be free. And yeah. And did you have uh, a, a strained relationship with your father or your other siblings Very at much all, so. Very much so. My older brothers were gone, yeah. too, so it was just me. And then what happened was I became a latchkey kid, uh-huh. as my dad was drunk all the time. So I had to take care of myself. Yeah, I even had to do. I even he even taught me how to drive the car so that I could go pick him up at the bar, and so at the age of fourteen, I learned how to drive a column shift. Yeah, you know some old Dodge Dart, so I could drive him around. So I accelerated into adulthood. Right. Well, at away. least he wasn't drinking and driving. So no, thank God. Thank for that. God, John you know? Guerrero, motherfucker. <laughs> you were you were basically the first Uber. If you mm, think about first, it. Like the first who Uber. didn't get paid, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Actually, did the get first paid. First Latin Uber <laughs> driving around Defiance, Ohio, in a Dodge Dart. So um, you're a fucking you, slut. You know, <laughs> you're a bitch. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> so you mentioned you mentioned something specific that I kind of wanted to touch on, right? So I, 
I had a uh, somewhat similar experience where I'm in the home. My only sibling is eight years older than me, so he's not necessarily like a, a brother. He's kind of like a semi-parent, semi-sibling, right? Uh, and I don't necessarily feel close to my parents. So my experience was I, I used these activities, playing basketball or playing some other sport as part of my identity and an escape. You mentioned a number of different uh, activities, class president, things that you were doing. Did you feel kind of like that was a portion of your identity or what, what I guess, drove that need to, to be popular and be involved? I very much knew that if I didn't do this, I wouldn't be complete. Yeah. So I had to do that. I had to play sports and I had to get along because I didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to that, I started coming into like, oh, I think I like boys. Yeah. You know, and then in addition, you know, to like being isolated and having to like develop my own life. Now I had to struggle with this whole kind of different element of like the human condition of like, who am I as a man and what do I do? And this is like 1977 yeah. where, you know, there wasn't anything on TV and everybody was closeted. And so you had to keep quiet about it. So in addition, when I played football, it like developed my masculinity. It like made me like, okay, you're okay, man. Now you can hang out with the boys and do this other kind of stuff. And yeah. maybe you can suppress this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and then what happened was, is I actually ended up being pretty good at it and I liked it. Yeah. And so people like me and so blah, 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 blah. There I was in the middle of all this. Yeah. Yeah. My experience, thing. and I don't know if you relate to this at all, but it was like this. Uh, so I, I, playing basketball was the first time that I felt, and this was freshman year of high school, where I felt other people accepting me. And finally I was like, okay, I right. can be comfortable being who I am, or this is where I belong. And this is the way I escape kind of that, um, uh, trauma for lack of a better word of being in this i need to escape from life yeah that was it right (laughs) um so it it, it sounds like you're saying that it's kind of like a similar experience where this is a massive part of my identity right yes yes. Uh, on the other hand of that you you mentioned that okay i'm I'm kind of wrestling with this idea that maybe i i like boys what what age is this happening at um i think Around 12, yeah. 10, about the same time that my parents are falling apart. And and were you open about that at that time? No. Or was that Okay, so no. so there's this other part of your identity that you're kind of keeping yeah. hidden from the world. What I guess take us through kind of what that experience is like, right? Uh, like with sports, you're out there, right? It's public. Um, but, you know, trying to identify your sexuality seems like it's, hey, this is something that I'm keeping really close to the vest. Right. So I played the game. Yeah. So I had girlfriends, a lot of girlfriends, like hung out with them, tried to like drive down that dirt lane and make out with them, and, mm-hmm. you know, feel them up and down, and, <laughs> <laughs> nice. you know, go back and report to the boys. I made it the third base dudes. <laughs> when I was even like liking it, like, ugh. yeah, you know, I'd be fantasizing about something else, like maybe their brother or. Yeah. somebody else on the football team and so it was an interesting kind of experience to get there and and then I thought well maybe I'm something else because some of the young ladies that I was with I like I kind of liked them I liked the experience that we were having I won't go into real dirty fucking detail about mm. it but it was kind of fun yeah. so it was kind of like again then I was like I had nobody to go to to think hey I have these feelings and thoughts and ideas and 
stuff like that. Is this right? Is this wrong? Because my dad was drunk and I didn't have a, my bigger brothers didn't know. I couldn't tell them. So I was caught in this world. And that's when I discovered Mad Dog 2020. Oh, nice. oh man, <laughs> dude. 40 was, ounce in my lap and I it's freezing my butt. straight to Mad Dog 2020. Dude, there's only a few times I've been in some real gnarly scraps. And every time I was drinking Mad Dog 2020. It's dude. sweet, though. It goes down really sweet. Oh, and man. then it fucking it kicks your ass. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I drank Mad Dog 2020 exactly one time. <laughs> I woke up at 6 a.m. with no pants on in the Amen. passenger seat of my yes. car in my parents' driveway. <laughs> and I was like, never again. Never again, right? That wasn't one of my first buzzes. It was Mad Dog 2020. And then, right. you know, like beers and, you know, hanging out in high school. And then in high school, people smoke pot all the time. Yeah. And I was so uncool when it came to, like, drugs. And, you know, we would drive around and my friend Mark Smith's Chevy Nova up and down Defiance, Ohio, and they had the bong and they'd be passing it around. They'd pass it to me and it... <laughs> And I would like spit bong water all over the place. And like, dude, that's not cool. So (laughs) I knew at that point I had to develop drinking in order to be cool and Mm. develop an identity around it. Mm. And, you know, and I made it through high school and I just like, I started going to college and I'm like, this is not for me. And so my bright idea was after I got in a couple scrapes around with the law, got arrested for DUI and blah, 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 is I thought, I'm going to go to L.A. Yeah. And this was at the age of 18. So I hopped a train, spent three days on Amtrak, got across, and I ended up in Los Angeles with my sister. That's a pretty big shift from Defiance, Ohio to... Big. Los Angeles. Big. Yeah. <laughs> was that the goal to, to as big of a change as possible? Well, I was YLA. doing a geographic and yeah. so I just needed to go somewhere okay. fun. And my sister said, come out because all hell was breaking loose and we could talk about that. But when I got to LA, my sister, this was the age of disco. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so we like hit the bars together and she, she and I were flinging what were called disco biscuits, quaaludes. Mm, okay. Yeah. Oh. I've heard of these. And cool. Yeah. You have to be old school. <laughs> Quaalude is like doing a hodgepodge of like ecstasy, heroin and cocaine all mixed together. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I would just do all three of those substances <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but it was just like one little pill. Yeah. They called them disco biscuits. Yeah. And when I got high, like, you know what? It was awesome. I had arrived and it was really like it elevated and gave me a new sense of identity. And it kind of took away a lot of those like feelings and rage and, and other things that were going on. And I get and it, mad thinking about me missing white claws because oh, I don't get yes. to drink those. Like Quaaludes seem like that. the best possible thing yeah, that they ever invented. really, really oh. do. Because now you've gone from, because it sounds like once you get to L.A., it's like now you can be who you are. And you're not going to be judged and you're going to be accepted and you're going to be loved. That is the scariest thing to me with kids growing up because it's like in order for me to find that group of people, I've got to like do something that's probably really not good for me. Because I had the same I don't experience. fucking know if I'm supposed to be racist or not. That's right. I didn't know if I was supposed to be racist or not. You're taking no that out of context. No is the answer to that. I was always. in prison, dude, and I had no idea what was going on. It was my first time there, dude, okay? First and last, hopefully. But anyways, dude, it's like I found that acceptance for the first time in what would the modern-day disco scene would have been. Right. Right? But I had to, like, I was, like, 
doing sketchy shit, but I was around a group of people that were also doing sketchy shit, and we could all be fucking sketchy together, dude. Mm. And there was no judgment from anybody. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. Or you're not dressed right. Or you're not doing this right. You're not saying the right things. It's like I was finally just accepted, and I can't even uh, I can't even begin to fathom what that was like in that time period. Because was it was was what, so we're talking 1980. 1980. 1980s, I graduated dude. from high school in 1980. Wow, dude. So like, even at that time in LA, was it? Oh, was it okay to be gay? No, it still no. wasn't okay to yeah. be gay. And it was, you, when when were you open about being gay? It wasn't until like 1981, like when okay. I was like around like 2021. I actually came out yeah. to my family and and said this is who I am. And then my whole family, like my one sister, just said. No, she actually said to me, and we're good with each other now, but she's, her first thing was, you could have had a girlfriend, you could have kept it under the carpet, you should have never said anything, oh, wow. and you should have always kept this a secret. How did, how did that, like, wow. what was your reaction when she... And, and this was weird because she was in the <clears throat> garment industry, so she, all her friends were gay, she used to go to Gay Pride, yeah. you know, and <laughs> hang out, and I thought, yeah. okay, I thought she would be the most accepting. Yeah. And so she was the one who rejected it the most. Wow. That must have been kind of uh, disorienting, right? For yeah. someone who, who seems like they're taking these actions where, okay, I can trust you, I can confide in you, I can rely on you, and... And it was another trauma I had to work yeah, through. Yeah, another yeah. notch in the trauma belt. To what you're talking about, too, is, okay, I arrived in, in L.A. They have West Hollywood, which is a little gay mecca. Mm -hmm. And I show up, and I'm, like, dressed in my best little outfit, and I go out to the bars. And I find that, actually, other gay men are just as mean and unaccepting hmm. as straight people. So you're hmm. caught in this world, because if you don't look the right way, if you're not the right weight, if you don't have chiseled this and chiseled that... You're like, no, we can't have you. Yeah. And so I walk in. I'm like, hey, I'm here. And they're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's Next that, bar. That is, that is so true, Next dude. Bar. Because when I, when I think about it, um, like, so I used to work out at this gym nearby here on 7th Avenue and like right by the, the Melrose District, yeah. right? And they called it the, the gay gym. Yes. But dude... <laughs> <laughs> gay people are chiseled, chiseled and they work fucking hard and they have the highest expectations right it's nuts beauty is a high marker mm -hmm. physical beauty is mm -hmm. and so interesting it and it, it contribute to kind of like my spiral yeah and my journey and trying to find myself and and finding who i was as an authentic human being who am i in all this hodgepodge of like scenarios and dramas and going on and so what i found was ha hanging with sketchy people hanging out selling drugs that i could be accepted mm -hmm. and hang out and make money and just do it but what happened to me was i always ended up with brushes with the law i would always end up in some reason behind in the back seat of la county sheriff or lapd going through another little run and one of the worst experiences i ever had was when I was 20, like two, and I got arrested and I got shot, they used to have this holding cell in LA County Jail, which is one of the roughest county jails. Hmm. Um, I think Cook County and then in New York are the other rough county jails that you, you've been into. And I got shot in, and there I am in this big holding cell with Sorenos, Norteños, Crips, Bloods. Yeah. All these crazy people, I'm like, fuck, how did I end up in here? Yeah. I'm just like supposedly this nice, 
Latino Catholic boy from Northwest Ohio. Yeah. Mm. And I'm like, Phew. How long were you in there for? God, I was in and out yeah. many, many times. First was like overnight, then it turned to two days, and then it turned into a week, and then I had six months and nine months. I spent my whole 20s cleaning every freeway in Southern California, either Orange County, Riverside County, or L.A. County, yeah. just running in. But none of that ever stopped me because I was back into you know, this wild search for my authentic self yeah. and still living into the, the trauma and, you know, and the fucked up thinking. Cause the only thing I could think about was like, it was the rest of the world's fault. It wasn't my fault. Yeah. I was like a victim and I was a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's perfect right there. Stopping with, I'm a little bitch. We're going to go to break. We're at the All half right. hour mark. Thank you. Uh, well, okay. Wait, what? <laughs> what did we do wrong? Thanks for the heads up, dude. Oh, I thought <laughs> oh, you were giving not? us the flash, dude. <sighs> Are we still on camera? You think Chaz hasn't done fucking Chaz 24 dude. episodes? What? Yeah. Come on, I, thought, I thought you signaled me, <laughs> no, bro. I'm sorry. I'm single. I thought you gave me this. I'm <laughs> 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 Yo, that's Good evening, my friends. It's Commander Cutie, Mr. Chudsy Wubsy from the Last Week Out podcast, and we've got some exciting news for y'all. Over here at the Last Week Out podcast, we are produced by Slack Media, and they have a special promotion going on right now. If you are a two-legged homo sapien or a millennial who just had a meaningful conversation and have the urge to put it on the internet, we're just the people for the job. We record, edit, and update and post. Fuck, update and post. What the fuck is update? Why did I say update? You can update stuff. I guess you can update stuff. Listen, dude, you want to fucking do a podcast? Guess what? We're the ones that can do it for you. We can edit, mix, master, and produce the whole thing, and we can help you figure out, do you know what an RSS feed is? Because I sure didn't when I started this, but because of Slack Media, now I do. So, if you have a podcast and you want to get it started and you want to skip all the difficult stuff, go ahead and email slackmediallc at gmail. And, or you can, and, or, fuck, god damn it, dude. And, or, and, or, 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 you can slide in our DMs at the last week out on Instagram. Get on in there. Love you. Bye. But out e six. This is what we're gonna do for you. You're gonna go to the promo code bar, but first before you do that, you're gonna go to buttout6.com and you're gonna queue up a big fat fucking order. <laughs> and then before you check out, you're gonna go to the promo code and put in last week out. And this is what we've gone ahead and decided to do for you because we love you is give you 20% off your order. But out e-cigs. Mm, yes. So the authentic self of Mr. Roger Guerrero and what I've come to know over the years is don't be. She'll put you in a fucking full God Nelson and make you lick dude. her titties. I- <laughs>
You always do that shit to me, dude. That's why I don't fucking talk, bro. Because you always interrupt me with these stupid ass sound bites all the time, dude. <laughs> dude, you made them. Yeah. <laughs> don't be a little. <laughs> <bitch>. <laughs> okay. So, okay, so I don't be a little bitch, no. and that is the authentic self of Mr. Roger Guerrero. Yes. And we're going to get into what the fuck that means, dude. I, I was under the impression that we would do the entire second half in spoken word poetry mode, mm-hmm. like the okay. intro. That was pretty fucking amazing, <laughs> honestly, right? Yes. Um, no, so, so, so we were talking about, uh, one, you were a victim, you were being a little bitch, right? Right. Um, and and then we were talking a little bit outside during the break about some some major transformative experiences because I imagine that's not your current state, right? So exactly. I, I think the question really is, what were some of the major uh, experiences that took you from from where you were to uh, get you onto the journey to where you are now? Well, and what happened was I built that alcoholic resume, that experience, and I kept building, kept building, kept building, but none of it like popped up. What really was the major transformative experience was in a drunken blackout, going to score some drugs, hanging out with my ex. Um, I was driving, and bam! The next thing I know is a little old man's face hits my windshield, and I hear a ba-dum, ba-dum. And what happened was, drinking and driving, I ran over a little old man and his two grandchildren going to buy ice cream. Yeah. So up to this point, my whole life had been a victim, oh, poor me, blah, 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 blah. If you had this story, you would drink, you would be this person. And now I had inflicted pain onto somebody else. So I ended up going to court and I got arrested and went through the whole process. And there I am. They wanted to give me 18 years in the state prison of California for all kinds of like trumped up thing. And they gave me a three-year plea deal. And I took the three-year plea deal. I was given five minutes to decide my fate yeah and like if you do this you get this if you do that you're gonna get this was that a long five minutes it was the longest five minutes in the world yeah it wasn't sexual wasn't arousing it was traumatic (laughs) i bet and so i took the five i took the three-year plea deal and then that entered my next chapter of life was where i ended up going to the california state prison where in la county they make you this is the most profound experience. Catch the chain. That's where they chain you together with your ankles and your hips like this, mm-hmm. together with six other guys. You have to shuffle together and you get on this bus. And I'm on this bus. It's an old school bus with the mesh screen all around it. And I'm going to prison for three years. And I remember looking out and people are going to like soccer practice or going to place and their life is just going on. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what fucking happened? Yeah. Like, how did I get here? How did I get here? Yeah. And so I got shot into the state prison, and there I am. I'm hanging out with the Sorenos, Norteños, and the Latinos because the prison systems are very racist. You either have to be hang out with, if you're white with white, black with black, Mexican with Mexican. Should be then, racist, you know? Yeah, and, and that's where that drop came from. The whole I don't know system. if it's supposed to be racist or not. <laughs> I get it now. And so I hung out with them, and so. I'm driving iron and I'm playing dominoes. And if I ever have to play dominoes ever fucking again in my life, I'm never doing it. I hate it. And I remember sitting on the prison yard and thinking, whatever it is, because I had a big bitch with God and spirituality, whatever it is you put in front of me, I'm going to do. Yeah. And so I made it. And, you know, I saw a guy got shanked and all the blood splurted out of his thing, fought through prison, made it through. And that really transformed me because I think it like instilled some fear because this was not the life that I really wanted. Yeah. And so I 
got shot out of jail, went to um, Long Beach. I got parole, and I remember leaving the prison, and people were like, hey, Holmes, you know, you're going to be high. You're going to be, your life is going to be fucked up because you're just like us. And yeah. they were right. Yeah. I was no more different than anybody else in the state prison system because of some uniqueness or some kind of thing. I was a dope fiend alcoholic. Now, when you left prison, did you think, okay, th- I, I will never do this again? Or what was the kind of mental state when you were leaving? I didn't know. Yeah. That was <clears throat> the, the scariest part mm-hmm. is I know I still had the propensity, still the tendency, and I had the potential to be loaded again. Mm-hmm. And so I had nothing of myself. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have that you know, bravado to say, I'm never coming back here, Holmes. I got it under. I was actually like a frightened little kitten (laughs) coming out of prison and like didn't know what to do. And I remember getting shot out. I was on pro and I was going to meetings in in Long Beach. But this is how arrogant and egotistical was is I was talking shit. I was paroled, going to meetings and I was in AA meeting trying to get sober. And I was talking shit to people there, telling them how AA didn't work, how why would they believe in some fucking Christian God and spiritual and blah, just going off. But, but I knew in the core of my spirit and myself that I was marked, that something was going to happen. Mm. So I made my first step in humility as I asked this man to help me. And, you know, I remember and I went over and I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, you know, hey, Jerry, do you think you could, like, help me, like, do this thing called The Steps and be my sponsor? And he did this thing where, you know, people in AA and recovery, they spin on their back heels and they look you up and down. And he said, you know what? Yeah, Roger, you know, I've seen you and I've listened to you. And this is what we're going to do. You're going to show up at the Long Beach Pier. You're going to be there at 10 o'clock. You're going to buy a big book. You're going to get a dictionary because I'm going to take you. Because I'm going to take you through the steps and I'm going to show you how to be a different man because people like you don't know what you're fucking doing and don't know shit. Yeah, that's, and, that's pretty direct. And I said, well, you can't talk to me like that. I'm kind of sensitive, <laughs> yeah. you know. And then he said, well, and I understand you're a fucking prison bitch, so you're just going to need to get over that. <laughs> wow. And this is how this man was because... What happened was I knew how to be manipulative. I knew how to skate around and I knew how to maneuver people. I didn't know how to really be a man. And so what happened was as I went through that journey, the transformative of being in prison, of looking back, this is where I don't want to go to, was obvious. It was an obvious picture. And so I had to step down from my egotistical self and really think, I had to take direction from another man. I didn't like it. Yeah. I didn't often agree with it. Like sometimes, I remember in that early sobriety, the best job I could do was bussing tables. Yeah. And I had earlier like had it going on. And now I'm bussing tables at a Mexican restaurant, picking up chips and drinks and like fucking hating people. And I would call. I, this is the days where you had to go out and call on a payphone <laughs> and call my sponsor and say, eh, you know, fuck this and my life and I deserve better. and. He would tell me stuff like, you need to shut your mouth, go back in that restaurant, clean that table, be nice, say yes, sir, say no, sir, say thank you. Yeah. And so today in my life, it's interesting how these experiences have shifted everything. If I would have been that little bitch mm-hmm. man who was maneuvered through life and somehow created some kind of like conversation with you and try to get you to believe this is why I need to be this way. Mm -hmm. 
I would have, but I didn't. Instead, I took his direction, and we would do stuff, and you know, he would have me into the fellowship, and I would be cleaning people's houses, and I would be doing service work. And slowly what happened was my life slowly started changing because I started to see that some of the truths that I believed were not truths. What, I, what do you mean? Like, is there an example you can... Like, I'm a victim. <clears throat> yeah. You know, like, um, for reasons of being Latino or being discriminated against, I have a right to be this way. Mm. Or by being a gay male in the early 80s, I'm a victim of this. Mm. Or, you know, my parents didn't do that. Or the biggest thing that really in the process was my relationship with my dad yeah. and my parents. And now when I work with people... One of the most important things that I have them do is work out the relationships with their parents. Short of child abuse, like if your mom and dad just weren't good parents, who fucking cares? You know, they did the best job that they could do. So you need to get off your fucking stick Mm. and get right with your parents. Mm. You know, and sometimes it's hard. It was hard because, you know, obviously my parents did some bad stuff and they were just ineffective human beings. So who am I to judge? And as I grew up and, you know, grew up as a man, I got to see my dad who he was and I got to have a level of compassion for him. Was and, was there a time where, I don't know when this happened for me, but I remember there being a, a major shift when I realized that uh, my parents were just regular people that had a kid and I happened to be that kid. Amen. Right? Was yes. there, do you remember, like, was there a time, is that the transformation that you had that allowed you to develop a better relationship with them? Or what was the thing that allowed you to say, hey, this is something that I could heal in my life? It was actually after <clears throat> I did some step work. Yeah. And I was directed by a man who sponsored me in recovery to go out. I had to, he said, you're going to buy this ticket. You're going to fly back to Ohio. You're going to meet with your dad. You're going to take him out. Interesting. And you're going to forgive him. Yeah. I'm like, I didn't want to, but I did it. Mm. And I went. And this was the interesting experience as I flew back to Defiance, Ohio. And I got my dad out of the nursing home. And I was waiting for this, like, experience where he was going to say, oh, mijo, I'm sorry I didn't do this. And I wasn't a better father. My dad had me drive him to Kistner's Bar in Defiance, Ohio. (laughs) Still having you drive him to the bar. Still like a 14-year-old boy. This was my experience with him. There was, like, I was supposed to have this, like, epiphany, this thing where, you know, where my, you know, tits were supposed to stand up and be big. (laughs) And I was supposed to be all excited. God, this is where I could run back and tell everybody in sobriety, you know, this is what's going to happen to you if you do this. What happened to me was nothing. Yeah. My dad did the same thing, but what I didn't realize was something did happen was while I was sitting in that bar, I got to look at him and my heart just got heavy and I got to see him as a man, a man who loved a woman who betrayed him, a man who didn't make things. And I never asked him like, Hey dad, what did you want to do? Did you have aspirations? Did you want to be a guitar player? I never knew what he wanted to do because I had this thought in my mind of what he should be. Yeah. And at some point, this is where it shifted for me. Like I stopped looking at people and putting them in boxes and stuff like that and realized I ran through life without enough information. Yeah. We never had that discussion. He ended up passing on yeah. from his own alcoholism that I never got to, but I got to have the experience with my mother. 
Interesting. What was that like? Oh, it was wonderful. I got to ask her, what did you want to be? Yeah. My mom wanted to be a Dr. Pepper model. (laughs) She actually was a very beautiful woman. She looked like Sophia Loren. And as a woman, as a young girl, somebody came by. Back in the early days, Dr. Pepper used to have these beautiful, like, bathing suit women on them. And they were going to ask her to do that. But her father wouldn't let her do it. And long story short, so she had this, like repressed anger resentment against her father and we got to talk about it Uh and we got to talk about like her relationship with my dad and i got to see her and one day at an ihop in las vegas i saw her as just another beautiful woman yeah that's impressive because your guys' relationship was pretty strained for a while after that uh experience where your dad kind of reacted when Ooh. she told you he couldn't get it up. She, my dad punched her in the head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to be like close to each other. Yeah. And when, before she died, I used to call her every day. I used to send her money. We became the good son. Yeah. And I transformed in my whole life. You know, I became shifted from the black sheep, cock sucking brother. No. <laughs> 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 Literally, one. That's my brother, the felonous cocksucker. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> to somebody who had respect, who mm. now my brothers look at me and love me, yeah, and respect me. But I would have never gotten to this place unless I had, in my journey, found first of all to be physically sober, yeah, and in that journey to do all the work. Oops, sorry about that. To do all the work, my hands fly everywhere to do all the work behind it, to create the shift. Mm-hmm. And today, I, you know, part of my amends to the people who I ran over is to help other people, so I'm committed. Yeah. So I sponsor a lot of people, so I help a lot of people. And not just in within the, con- the frame of AA, or this, the whole world. And that's why sometimes I talk to people, like there's a lot of service work that can be done mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. You know, whether you're helping cats at the animal shelter the homeless and stuff like that yeah. and what i love about the whole process is that through it you don't become somebody who's a victim but you become empowered yeah and in the empowerment is a beautiful place to be yeah absolutely and there's one thing this is a hard segue but uh you mentioned all over the world i know before we came in and started recording we were talking about david's going on a trip to europe uh backpacking through Europe, essentially, and you were intimately familiar with uh, Dubrovnik, I, I think it was. Yeah. What, what, were some, like, what has this transformation allowed you to experience? I know for me, traveling is a very big thing, right? Seeing the world is a major thing. It sounds like you've been able to experience that. I'm just kind of curious what some of the life experiences you've been able to have uh, are. Right. Does that make sense? Oh my God, they're fantastic. Um, as a result of working in the industry I work in, and and anytime someone says that, it makes me think they work in porn. <laughs> Black sheep, <laughs> sucking brother. <laughs> Volume six. No, <laughs> there's no bad boy motel VHN for me in there. No, not at all. I work in travel, so that's the industry I work in. Actually, I'm a travel agent. Nice. So by profession and um, my partner and I travel all over the world because we believe you know even we didn't want to wait till we get old I mean I got sober when I was 28 yeah. and now I'm 57 oh, wow. so a good chunk of my life has been sober and now you know we're I'm actually a middle-aged man and like in another 10-15 years you never know I might be like in that walker like <laughs> unable to get around so we 
direct our money towards traveling and traveling and experiencing is the next level of the fourth dimension. It's where you're being catapulted. To be in Madrid, to be in London, to, um, to climb the Great Wall of China, to go um, diving in Bora Bora, to um, being in Egypt riding a camel, to being on an elephant safari in, in um, Thailand, to be in Japan going to a Buddhist temple. I mean, these are experiences that I've had. So I've been traveling all over the world and it just makes my mind more open and it makes my mind more loving. Because by nature, I'm aggressive. By nature, I'm angry. By like recently, I've taken up boxing. Interesting. Fucking boxing is tough. It. Love it. Yeah, it's a workout. It's a work, but it's a spiritual place to be. And I'm taking. I've been dragging all my sponsees and and other people down there. Like you beat the shit out of sponsees. <laughs> I do. Like, bitch, you show up at eight o'clock in the morning. Put these things on because we're gonna fucking box. Yeah. We actually do it against a big bag. So did you? But I know. Like, left hook, right hook, boom, boom. <laughs> and and part of it's spiritual because I think as as human beings, um, most of us live in fear and anger. And some of us don't know how to process it. And so, like, hit that bag, like, fucking, bam, bam. Yeah. And as I walk out, I just feel, like, this, like, freedom and this love for other people. And it's weird, but it's fun. Yeah. No, that's definitely interesting. Right? Yeah. Boxing. Yeah. Maybe I should You want me to take you down there, too? Are you afraid? I Ooh, feel like you, you would bitch? fuck me up. I, I, <laughs> I was actually, like, a frightening little kid. <laughs> I, 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 went to, uh, I went to a boxing class twice. Never went again. Why? No reason. Just didn't go. <laughs> I, was, I loved it. It was absolutely amazing. It was one of the like hardest workouts I had ever uh, had done. But then I just never went back. Oh. It was one of those things where there was a. It was a girl at the time. I'm always <laughs> heavily influenced by women. The girl. The girl, dude. The girl. Like my current life is heavily influenced by that, and like my diet and all kinds of crazy shit. But anyways, yeah, you've lost a lot of weight, dude. Look good. Yeah, no, I look good. It's not because of anything Please like I was trying to do. You know what I mean? It was like I was, I was highly motivated by something. But I went and to this I boxing wrote it class hard, and I wrote it hard. I went to this <laughs> boxing class at like six in the morning on a Friday once because of this one girl. Uh, She's like, "Yeah, I go boxing," and I'm like, "I'm gonna go boxing." And I went boxing. I got my ass kicked. By her? Dude. No, no, no. By the bag. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 By the bag. You hit the bag. The bag comes back at you. Right. You don't get out of the way. Guess what? Bam! Right in the kisser, dude. Yeah. And what I really what I really like, though, about that is um, I have found that experience because what I have found recently in my life, and this is interesting, is I kind of got to a point where um, I had no hobbies. Hmm. I had nothing that I did for myself. There was nothing fun that I could say that I did last weekend. Like I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything. I didn't like physically exert my my mind or my body. Like I just kind of just you know do my thing and I go to meetings and I do this and I go to work and whatever, dude. So I recently started taking up rock climbing, and it has been the most spiritually transformative experience that I have right ever on, had right to have that outlet, dude. Because I feel like. Um, we just we get we get sober right and and i know there's people that just don't understand the uh the recovery jargon but like we get sober and we do all this stuff within this program of recovery right and and, and we make that our life mm. we make that our life and for good reason because it saves our lives and it gives us a life back but for me i thought i got to a point where like i just, that's all i did 
that's all I did. And then I stopped doing it because I got so frustrated and so bored with it. And it's like, oh, I get out of work. And it's like, I got to go to this meeting. I go to that meeting. I got to go meet up with this guy. I got to do this thing. Be of service over here. Go to this committee meeting. And uh, I just got to a point where I was just like, oh, God, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. And this like almost like resentment started to build towards this idea of these 12 steps that saved my life. Mm-hmm. Right. This resentment starts to build and I started to not do it. And I found myself slipping. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it, it's wild to see and hear that other people have that same experience as that. And I know I've gotten really off track from what we were talking about, but in the terms of like the same experience with boxing. Right. And finding that outlet for something healthy, because once I started finding that outlet for me to express myself and like challenge myself, then for whatever reason, I felt uh, more motivated to get back into doing what it is we do in recovery. So now that I've gone off on a completely different tangent from whatever the fuck we were talking about, (laughs) right, we were talking about you. um, What I want to know today is what is Roger currently struggling with what are some of the struggles going on in your life right now actually my place in love and it's a struggle gonna have to ask you to expand on that yeah Um, my partner and i've been together for 15 years whoa yeah and so we've fallen into little old men together friends and so like what is my place where am i in this you know, how do we keep this alive? Do I, you know, I love, do I demand? How do I like fit into this spot? I could be promiscuous, I could be infidelitous, or how do I do that? And then also getting old is another struggle. Like you may not understand it, but now, like fucking they're sending me AARP cards. Like I'm a fucking old bitch on top of that. Like fuck. How did that happen? My hair's <laughs> getting gray, you know, and I'm like really active. So like some of my young sponsees are 20. I'm like up climbing up Squaw Peak with them and I'm having a heart attack and I'm like dying, but I'm not going to give up because I don't want these dumb asses beating me. Mm-hmm. But I have to realize at the end of the day, like fuck, I'm getting old and and you may not think about it, but it's a struggle. Like, who am I? And what happened now is. I got to a place, you know, a couple years ago where I felt like I found myself in the journey and there I am. And now here's a new chapter. Like, who am I in this loving relationship? Who am I as a man? Who am I as an old man? And I've kind of settled into being kind of the wise old sage helping all these people. But yeah, I don't want to be that. I want to be a freak sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So what you're telling me, dude, is... It never ends. Never. It never ends. There's no hope. Okay. No, there and is hope. Just <laughs> the hope is, is you get to take it on, face on, and move towards a problem. And you said something interesting. Is if you apply the laws of physics, for every action, there's a reaction. And if you live by that, every action you have, there's going to be a reaction. And I have to be mindful of that. So everything that I do and that I struggle with, you know, that some... Sometimes I've lived with a little bit of depression here and there. Like, what is this all about? And so I had to go out and find a new spiritual mentor. And this lady, Amy Powers, fucking Amy rocks. Amy fucking Powers. Amy Powers. Instead, I wanted to go and talk to her about, like, I'm not getting my dick sucked enough, and I'm not getting this, and and he doesn't pay attention, and blah, 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 blah. And she made me meditate. 
She made me be mindful. She made me get like right with energy. I'm like, what is all this fucking bohemian fucking hippie shit <laughs> going on? And instead, I, I, she like took a gong and hit it on my head and I ding, you know? <laughs> but something fucking like worked with it. And I didn't feel ancient. I didn't feel stuff like that. So for every action, there was a reaction. And I got to be and I got to sit and meditate. And she had me do all this other work. And now it's not his thing. Like a couple months ago, it was like a crisis central. It was like, I think I'm going to like fucking off myself. Mm. I got to a place where it was really dark, like last January, where I feel like, you know what? I'm sponsoring people. I'm doing stuff. I got a great job, money in the bank, house, stuff like that. And all of a sudden, this like cloud came over. I'm like, what is this all fucking about? And I had this like intense spiritual crisis. And it fucking like rocked my world. But here I am sitting with you guys, having a good time, made it through, didn't give up. Mm -hmm. Even thought about like, hmm, maybe I should just hang myself. I was actually like a <laughs> frightened little kitten. Yes. Is that, that, well, I had that same thought too. I'll be driving, man, right? I'll be driving down the road and I'll just be like, I should drive in the oncoming traffic right now. Yeah. I wonder, is my truck big enough in order for me to pulverize someone else or if I run into a semi? And these are the thoughts that I start to have. And what's wild to me is like, where do those thoughts come from and why the fuck do they pop up in my head? It's such an involuntary thing that I have absolutely no control over. So you're not alone. Anytime I'm near a ledge, I consider <laughs> what would happen if I jumped off, right? Like what would, ha like what would happen if I fell off? Right. So I don't know. Maybe I, I thought I was insane. No, you're and not insane. Like, no, dude. No, and right it kind of comes right back now. to that moment where you, you know, you got this decision, right? You're talking about, you know, being in court. It's like I make I got five minutes to make a decision. And either my life is going to go this way or either my life is going to go that way. And for whatever reason, I've been blessed with this filter that I can look at this and I can say, OK, this decision is bad because if I survive head on collision, like there's going to be bills to pay. People are going to be sad. Mom and dad's going to be mom's going to be destroyed. Poor mom. I love you, mom. I know you love me. I'm not going to I'm not going to drive my truck into oncoming traffic, okay? <laughs> you know? Or I can just continue driving and I can go to my destination and I can do what I'm supposed to do and be where I'm supposed to be. And that's a wild wild like I don't know, thought. It's a wild concept for me yeah. to think that like at any moment, right? My, my, if my human condition is in the, the wrong place at the wrong time, if I'm not right with who I am and my authentic self, I can make that split second decision that can completely change my entire life for the worst. Or I can make that decision that's going to change my entire life for the better. Right. You know, and what's really dope, dude. It was a rock star summary of this entire episode. Thank you so much. I appreciate <laughs> that, man. What I, what, what I really like about what you just said, dude, is it, like it gives, first off, it tells me with someone who has, you know, a quarter of the life experience that you have, right? Because I fall into this, this idea or this ethos of, you know, I'm going to get to that point where I no longer have to do work on myself no, in order to grow and be a better person. 
So thank you for ruining my dreams and aspirations, dude. That's an immature expectation of life. It really is, dude. Yeah. No, so it, it reminds me, man. It's so helpful for me to sit here and say, okay, I don't got this figured out. But this is what I was taught, actually, um, like fear. I invited in now. This is a lesson, a new lesson. Rather than avoiding fear, you know, um, and like fear should not be around me. I should not have fear. I like invite fear into the table and sit with me and understand what it is about. Anxiety, what are you about? And so I can get to know it. So I live in unison with it. And this is like something that I didn't come up with. I had to kind of be taught this by this new spiritual mentor. And I, I really love it because you never do get to the place of enough, I know, or you graduated or get your diploma. And that's true for anything in life. It's not just like the 12 step, whether you're in smart recovery or any kind, whether you're a good Christian person, you're always in this kind of like level on the journey. And I think it's the people who like clamp down and become rigid because the other sin that I did, so to speak, was to become rigid in my own life. Mm. and think it's black and white. Yet left, right, this and that, when it's not. Life is just wonderful. And if you're into that, you know, and what you did is that you didn't drive into it. You actually opted into the right lane <laughs> after the truck. And it's well, a wonderful thing. And that's, I think discipline took care of you there. That's where what you said was because that's where climbing has come in, right. right? You're 30 feet up on a wall, okay? And you've got... Um, you know, you've got your hand in this little crack, right? And you've got your <laughs> crack. You've got your hand in this little <laughs> crack. You've got your foot on this little nub. No. Okay. You're literally holding your entire body weight out on a nub. You've got your hand in a crack and you're holding a ledge that's a pad length um, off the wall, like pad length of your finger. And are you're your, sitting there. Are your biceps developed enough to do that? Oh, like dude, yeah. you, you should see me. I'll show you some oh, pictures, dude. Oh, you're a fucking slut. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's me. I'm a rock <laughs> slut, dude. I'm a freaking rock slut, dude. Are we but still talking about climbing? Yeah. We're talking about we're talking about fear, dude. We're talking about walking through fear. You're at, you're at that point, and it's like, oh, I got another 30 feet to go. Now I can either, and this happened to me last weekend, I was on the wall and my legs started shaking and I'm holding myself up, dude, and I'm like, okay, I probably shouldn't fall here. I should probably overcome this. What do I need to do next? I need to take a deep breath, control my breathing and make the next move. And then after that, make the next move and then the next move and the next move and then get to the top and then get the fuck down because guess what didn't realize i was afraid of heights until i was you know 60 feet up in the air and then i was like oh i'm actually kind of afraid of heights but the 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 experience was um i'm in fear i'm anxious i'm shaking all i gotta do is make the next move yeah and that's what i that's what i've heard during this entire podcast dude it's like fear Right, people are gonna judge. People are uh, gonna be mean. They're gonna be rude. People fucking suck, you know. And it's like I just gotta make the next the next move to be a better person, whatever that looks like. And sometimes we gotta make a lot of bad moves in order to become a good person. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah. fucked up. And that was, this was a great time. You got anything you want to finish with, Danny? Yeah, I mean, I think one, Roger. Thanks for the time and being open and opening up with us. And and the two things I'll take away: one, life is gray, and two, embrace fear. That's something I don't do uh, yeah. enough of right now. So I'll make that commitment to try to embrace some fear uh, in 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 the near future. Thanks for your time, and we appreciate well, it. Thank you guys. Yeah, for I got some you, great drops too. This is one of my all-time favorites <laughs> here. Check this one: black sheep. 
cock-sucking brother. <laughs> that one's amazing. Fire. That is fire. That's coming out a lot. Man. Oh, my God. Hey, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. Please like, subscribe, share. Um, you know, butt out e-cigs, 20% Comment. off. Comment. Just, you know, just, you know, just do it, dude. Just do it. You're sitting there and you got nothing to do, so just do it. That's all I got to say to that. I love you guys. Thank you. All right, bravo.